ultimately when you're looking back at the end of your life, it's relationships are all that are ultimately going to matter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go work hard, do what you need to do, but don't do it at the expense of your key relationships. You're never going to get your kid's childhood back. You're never going to get those years of your marriage back. You know, reach out to the estranged relationship. Ultimately, all of this is cool that we talked about, but it's really relationship with God, relationship with family, mm-hmm. uh, relationship with those closest to you, and even relationships with your coworkers mm-hmm. is what makes for a rich life. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we got my great friend, Jason Lewis with Creation Utah and Investor Machine. And Jason flew in from Salt Lake to talk about how he's having his best quarter ever, resulting in $2.5 million in revenue in eight months from, what's funny to me, 15 different lead sources. Um, I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this show is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you'll become one. And we do know the fastest way to become a millionaire is to get good at sales. Our sales community has been up for a few months now, and the community members are already closing more sales. If you'd like to join a community of sales assassins, go to salesdisruptors.com. And the show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to millions of cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors to get 10% off. And guys, if you get value today, please hit that subscribe button. That's the clue YouTube needs to know that there's good content so that we can reach more people so we can create more millionaires. All right. So, ready? Ready. All right, so you were on this show about a year and a half ago. Things were amazing, right? Like everything that we touched was just gold. Mm-hmm. What's happened since that show? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, <laughs> getting ready for this, I was actually listening to uh, the, the podcast that we did a year and a half ago. And yeah. as I was listening to it, I was like, man, I was excited. Uh-huh. I was like, I had so much energy. I was like, dude, everything I touch is great. Everything's working great. It's amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the Utah company was doing great. Gangbusters growing. I was able to run that company as the CEO and the COO uh, at that time with very little of my own time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Investor Machine was growing great guns. Everything was absolutely uh, awesome. Right. And so uh, that continued mm-hmm. uh, through. So um, talking about. What's happened since then? I'm going to break it into a couple time periods from then until halfway through last year, Mm -hmm. halfway through last year to the start of this year, and then since then. Just a quick update on both the companies. You okay with a little bit longer answer? Of course. Feel free to interrupt anywhere along the way. So we'll start with the Utah company. Mm -hmm. So one good thing that I did was I got a COO in place. Mm -hmm. You and I were just discussing in the hallway before. I was all cocky, big guns when I was on your podcast before Mm -hmm. saying, look at me, I'm the CEO and the COO Mm -hmm. of this company spending less than five hours a week and it's going great. It was going great because times were easy. Mm -hmm. Luckily, while times were easy, I got an amazing COO Mm -hmm. in place, got everything all set up there. So that's from to the end of 2021, that's basically the Utah company was get a great COO in place, kind of turn things over to him before the storm. Oh, so he was prepared. He was prepared. Maybe not prepared, but he was at least... In the business. Correct. Not and, overwhelmed. Yeah. And fortunately, he had been, uh, I, I got lucky. There's a few times that I've gotten, I was actually just talking to uh, one of my uh, investor machine teammates earlier today. There's a few times I got lucky mm-hmm. early on with hires. Like yeah. now you and I know a lot more about hiring and predictive index and who, who we're supposed to hire and what we're supposed to place in right. seats. And there was a few times where it's like, I had no idea what I was doing, but I got that one right because mm-hmm. I was lucky. And I, part of it's lucky, but also it is when you're 
taking a lot of choices, when you're taking a lot of chances and going after it, there's a lot that I did wrong too. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I but say some of them work out, but some of them work out. Right. So he was one, I got lucky. He was mm -hmm. the acquisition manager, but also had a great profile to be a great COO. Got it. So, and I will say COO specifically of a sales company. Mm -hmm. So for, for that role, he's perfect. Everybody mm -hmm. loves, loves him. He does an amazing job. Yeah. So got him in place and then continued to grow. It was a great end of 2021 was a great year. Yeah. Uh, same story for Investor Machine. End of 2021 was great. Uh, from your podcast, we had a bunch of additional people sign up. Everything we were doing was just adding more and more and more members to Investor Machine. Mm -hmm. Everybody was getting great results. And our honestly, our biggest problem was all of our markets were full. Uh, and it's like, all right, as long as you're in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, or some other little place you can join, but like, otherwise, sorry, you're like, <laughs> it, was, it, it started to become harder to get sales because like Phoenix had a you know, nine-year wait list. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> right. in order to be able to get into. So now we're moving into uh, 2021. Sorry, 2022. Mm -hmm. So uh, 2022, uh, we had two acquisition managers drop down to one. So uh, that slowed down the Utah company a little bit because mm -hmm. the market was still super hot. I, yeah, listening to the podcast again, I was like, look at me, I'm wholesaling for 90% of ARV. I'm so mm -hmm. great. Market. Uh, <laughs> But uh, um, went down to one acquisition manager. So nugget that I learned from that, as well as has really been hammered in recently as we've been having a great quarter and ramping up some of our marketing and things like that. Mm -hmm. And you're the ultimate sales trainer, so tell me if you agree with this. Okay. I have found that as low as five to as high as 10 appointments in a week is ideal for an acquisition manager. Mm -hmm. at, least, at least mine was seven being about the sweet spot. That's the goal and that's where we like to wind up. Yeah, face-to-face, -to -face, two a day. So that's, that's, a, that's a reasonable target. Yeah. And, and we're face-to-face. -face. Yeah. Um, and I, my, my belief is, and we actually, um, I was just at an event with a bunch of other investors, and one guy there was doing virtual, and the rest of us just kind of pounced on him. I believe that virtual acquisitions worked uh, in previous markets. Mm -hmm. Great. But in today's market, uh, really, it's tough to compete. Uh, yeah. You know, we, you talk about what's changed since then. We compete more on appointments now mm -hmm. than we have in my whole 10 years that I've been doing this. What does that mean? It's far more often that we're meeting with the seller and then our competitor is meeting mm -hmm. with the seller right after and then competitor right after and competitor before. Interesting. Yeah. When in Utah, we're seeing more. And I mean, there's always been competition, right? Mm -hmm. That's If there's one thing we love to do as real estate investors, we love to talk to each other about how competitive our markets are. Right. right? Oh, yeah. mine's just so competitive. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I live in Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty hard, but this is uh, between Sean Terry, myself, Pace, Jamil. We're, we're just pumping out wholesalers out here. You guys, you guys Brent are really, Daniels. really, Brent Daniels. Don't forget Brantley. Yeah. yeah. You guys pump them out. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, so went down to one acquisition manager and luckily it was my awesome, like willing to put in infinite number of hours acquisition manager. Mm -hmm. But even still, when you're, when you're doing 18, face-to-face -face appointments in a week, it definitely Burnout's slowed down our numbers. So lesson I learned from that is number one, uh, you know, your, your target should be about, in my opinion, seven appointments in a week, mm -hmm. uh, uh, up to 10. And then number two, you know, make sure, have as much redundancy as possible because mm -hmm. going down to one acquisition manager, I would say slowed down our year. Uh, we still had a great first half of the year. Mm -hmm. um, investor machine, uh, same. Uh, first half of last year, we grew really, really quickly. By the way, for those that don't know, Investor Machine. So 
The Utah company is pretty simple. It's the fix and flip company, investor machine, high level list building, uh, direct mail service provider mm-hmm. company. Yeah. So um, all was going pretty well till about June. Mm-hmm. Uh, June, uh, Fed raised rates over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, depending on the market you were in, uh, life got difficult. We were a market that already struggled with affordability and mm-hmm. we got whooped. Yeah, I think if you start at Idaho, go down to Utah, right, and then all down to Arizona, and everything west. Yes. <laughs> it was brutal. Brutal. And I've actually since looked at a map. Uh, Realtor.com mm-hmm. did a map of county per county, you know, what the percent over the year from June to June mm-hmm. property value is going up versus down, right? And, like, dark gray is bad and red is good. And what's interesting is, like, America did not have the same experience. No. Last year. It all depended on the market you were in. There was splotches of gray and red mm-hmm. all over. Uh, and yeah, Utah, Boise, California, <laughs> Phoenix, and you know, and a lot of other random markets mm-hmm. well, got had, hit pretty uh, hard. We just had an event in, in Denver uh, last Friday, right? Uh, well Club. Club. Yeah. And um, one of the members, he's like, yeah, you know, yes, last year was a blip. I was like, <laughs> last year was not a blip. <laughs> it's not a blip. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's like, yeah, I mean, we're in Kansas City, Missouri. It's like, yeah. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit different. I, what, one of my journey lows was I was, I think it was last, it was a, almost exactly a year, a, a year ago, I was in, at Investor Fuel, mm-hmm. uh, another mastermind in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I actually, Rob, Rob, my COO, came with me to this uh, meeting and uh, um, we were getting whooped mm-hmm. at this point, right? Like not doing well at all. And there were, there were people in the room and we're talking like, you know, 23 year olds that had been doing it a year or two. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, they're standing up there saying, like, we're having our best quarter ever. This is easy. This is great. And we're looking around like, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> like, we are trying so hard, but we are absolutely getting crushed. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a challenge. Yeah. But then there was definitely some things we did wrong. Mm-hmm. It was really hard to figure out like value and successfully wholesaling too because it was like catching a falling knife. Mm-hmm. We, f- we felt like we'd finally reestablished what, because really... Uh, wholesaling is the main thing that we do. And it, it's not, you know, there's this, the, the thing that you say in a podcast is like, oh, it's not hard enough in a falling market. You just buy for less, sell for less, piece right. of cake, right? Yeah. Obviously, sure. that's Obviously. it. Yeah, it's easy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, but yeah, you say that till you live it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would think, okay, we think we've finally figured out, which by the way, all the other competition hasn't gone away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still bidding on properties and trying to figure it out as well. So yeah. we're like, okay, we think if we price it this far down, uh, That'll get it, but it was still moving down, down, down super quickly. Yeah. So oh. I was to say, I remember like because we were talking this whole time, right? I mean, I, I have a yeah. note here. We're gonna talk about like the group therapy we did, but <laughs> we were talking this whole time, and I was like, "Yeah, like, how are you doing?" I was like, "Well, my goal for this quarter is to not lose money." Yeah. <laughs> right. And I was not just, successful at that goal yeah. for two quarters. Yeah. Of if last we could year. just keep everyone employed mm-hmm. and not lose money. That's a win. Right now, I just want to out-survive the competition. Yeah. That was the goal last year for a couple of quarters. Anyway. Yeah. So a couple of things we did right. So my goal with each of these, and I, as I'm going through each of these time frames, is hopefully a couple of lessons from each. You're mm-hmm. going to get some from the things I did wrong and some from the things I did right. This, yeah. is, this is luckily one of those, some things we did right. Mm-hmm. So first off, lost money. But I still look back on that time feeling like we did more right than we did wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one thing that I did that I'm really glad I did was I did not cut my marketing. Mm 
Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of people did. And a lot of people in my market did. A lot of people went out of business mm -hmm. in my market. I had friends that were losing seven figures. I had friends that, you know, and sometimes it was going out of business. Sometimes it was strategically pursuing a different opportunity. But I did genuinely lose uh, some competitors right. th through that period. But I, I made the strategic choice. I was like, look, I've learned my lesson on timing the market. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you know, I... It's funny because I, I preach this and I'm really good at this at real estate. Not so much stocks, Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? Bitcoin and stocks, I'm like, okay, once it's low, then I'm going to get in. I'm finally going to get into these mm -hmm. things. But when you play the time the market game, it's like, okay, I Never think it's works. finally known. It's like, I'll go look at some headlines, right? You look at a headline that's like, Bitcoin's going to crash 40% tomorrow. Oh, well, I got to wait till then. But then you look at another <laughs> headline that's like, Bitcoin, you know, Black, BlackRock's about to invest in Bitcoin. It's going to go up 40%. Oh, what do I do? And that decision fatigue and that analysis paralysis definitely comes in mm -hmm. because it's like, do I get in? Do I not? Do I get in? Do I not? So I'm still not very well invested in mm -hmm. crypto, not very well invested in stocks. Probably As, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't been a huge regret recently. Yeah. But over the long term, it absolutely will be. Mm -hmm. Like, no doubt, 10 years from now, there will be some regret there. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing with real estate. Anybody who says, hey, I'm just going to like pull back on my marketing mm -hmm. or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out for a little bit and then I'm going to wait for the market to turn and come back. Mm -hmm. No one times the market. No yeah. one knows exactly when the market's going to turn. And the same analysis paralysis that I have with stocks and Bitcoin are going to come back mm -hmm. for you. So right. I said, we're, I mean, cut a little bit of uh, waste, but actually wound up pulling that money and putting it into other marketing and we just kept driving forward. Mm -hmm. And even from a staff standpoint, I cut a few people that really should have been cut anyways that in a normal market I would have cut that weren't performing but like kept the whole team in place uh, and uh, kept going on marketing and we just kept barreling forward. And the other thing that we did is we really took that time to refine mm -hmm. uh, and improve every part of our think business. the reason why you were quote unquote losing money was because you did not cut back on marketing? So really it was a conscious decision like, yeah, we're not making money right now but we fully expect this to come back and more later on. I would say maybe more the staff than the marketing. Okay. Uh, because the marketing was still producing a return. Mm -hmm. uh, like on none of my marketing channels, I don't think, I'd have to pull up a spreadsheet mm -hmm. to be sure, but on, I don't think on any of my marketing channels was yeah. I negative. But the problem is I have a, I have a decent sized operation. Right. You know, like I have to be in the six figures before I break even. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... That's where, and that's, you know, that's all, all of my costs. But like when you have an operation that big, that's a lot of deals that need to move through. Uh, right. So, you know, there was money coming through all along the way, just not enough to cover all of the expenses. Yeah, got it. So, because I had, a, it was 100K. We spent 100K a month, but not in one particular company. Yeah. Right, it's combined. Uh, so for us, we made the decision, in hindsight, the wrong decision, but it was the, the decision we made was we did cut back marketing and we kept the people. Yeah. I had to do it all over again, open the other way. And I know that, but I was the only one that knew that and everyone else disagreed. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to listen to my leaders, right? Like, we, this is what we're preaching. Like, hey, you know, give them an opportunity to rise up and this and that, multipliers, whatever. But I regret that. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I have zero regrets. Yeah. So then the other part was we took and we refined and got better at every single part of our process. Mm -hmm. And really, like, business for me has been a cycle of 
market slow and or we're suffering the consequences of our poor choices mm -hmm. and uh, the and business is slow and that's the opportunity to refine. Right. Then business is big and growing and all of your time, effort, and energy is just going into keeping up with the growth. Right. Uh, and then, you know, and, and so it's just back and forth and back and forth. So this was our most extended period of refine. And then a whole lot of- What does it mean to refine? So essentially that means I look at every part of the business. I break down every single marketing channel. I, and then the whole funnel, we're looking at acquisitions. And when I say I, I mean mostly COO. Mm -hmm. you know, the, right. the, if there's one thing we do best as uh, company owners, it's taking credit for the things that everybody <laughs> else does. But well, the reason at, why I'm talking about the refining is that you know one of my favorite Jasonisms, right? Mm -hmm. Is if you can close the gap between what you believe to be true and what it actually is, then you'll have more, more money than you need. Yes. Something along those lines. Yes. Right. And I was preaching that heavy through that period right. because I was finding everywhere the difference between what I was saying on a podcast and what was going on in my company, yeah. right? And what was going on in my company was not what, I, I wasn't being the type of person saying on a podcast, hey, it's this, knowing that it's that, but getting in, it's like, woof, that's a... Well, there were a lot of wake-up <laughs> calls last year because I had to get back into the business. Mm -hmm. right? right now, I'm back in the living room, right? I'm actually enjoying it. I'm actually having a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I'm sitting in all these different seats to kind of see, again, what do I believe to be true and what is actually <laughs> true, and we're, and we're closing that gap, and I'm sitting in between all these different seats in the company. I kind of feel like uh, I think Eric Guideson has this responsibility working with Phil mm -hmm. is that, all right, for this quarter, you're in charge of this department. Or for this company, or for this quarter, you're in charge of this department. I mm -hmm. feel like I'm kind of going through that right now, and it's actually kind of fun because I feel like I don't have to start a new company. I could just fix this. Just, yes, 100%. Yeah, going from department to department. So, yeah. yes, that's, that's a lot of exactly what it was. It's just this department, this department, mm -hmm. this department take all of them, make it better. Right. By the way, I had my first, it was probably about a month ago, uh, in three years, sit down knee to knee with the seller mm -hmm. appointment it, and got the contract. I do not remember the last business high I got equal yeah. to that. There is just something magical about going back and meeting with the seller. It was a yeah. referral from a friend. And, uh, and honestly, there was some specific things that Rob and I were struggling with, figuring out how to help the acquisition managers. They were struggling. They were losing out on some of the, um, on some of the deals and like from the top, we couldn't figure it out. So when they asked, I was like, you know what? My best answers always come from in the trench. So got back in the trench mm -hmm. and at the end of the appointment, I was like, oh, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. Came up with all of the specific things mm -hmm. to do, got the contract uh, and it was, it was awesome. Yeah, you know, going back to like, you know, like getting back in the trenches, like what's fun about getting back in the trenches, I get to go back and improve our sales training. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. And your sales training is much better yeah. from in the trenches because you have recent relevant experience. Right. So I can say things like, oh, don't just talk about the grandkids. Let's name the grandkids. And you can see the different emotions that come through. We're talking about your grandkids. Or we're talking about Sophia. Their, yeah. <laughs> it's a completely different conversation. Yeah. And I would not have been able to do that and, and, and test it and figure out because I was losing control of the conversation. Right, he was going on like this other tangent. I was like, hang on just one second. I apologize, I didn't even ask. What, what are the name of your grandkids? And he went back, talked about the grandkids, and then, you know, like the, uh, the, the, the origin, right, of his daughter-in-law and how they came up with the names and this and that. And now he's like all emotional, excited about it. Like, Great, this is where we need to be. We need to sit here. Like, let's not talk about these tangents. Anyway, going back to your time about refining. Yeah. Oh, the one thing I wanted to say with that is uh, I talked about my guys being in your sales training mm -hmm. last podcast. 
uh, that's another thing that we stayed in yeah. and through all the way. Because I'm a believer in the power of education, refinement, mm. getting better all along the way. Right. And my sales guys have stayed in your training the the whole way through. Yeah. And I constantly get like great reviews, great right. feedback, and everything else. Like it absolutely helps them be the best. And that refining not coming from Jason and that accountability not mm. coming from Jason or Rob yeah. has honestly been awesome. And it and it shows to my team like, hey, not only you know, not only am I employing you, but I care about you. Mm -hmm. And I want to, and I'm going to, I'm willing to spend money to invest in your growth because you're making a commit, you're making a commission mm. and I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure you increase that commission, including paying best of the best to train you every week. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And you know, that's actually interesting because the, what I have found every time I bring in someone new and I train them with a third party was like, I can't believe you invested this much in me. And I'm always of the, thought like how come no one else is investing in their people <laughs> right 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 that's where i get it from like you know we you and i are giant darren hardy nerds mm -hmm. right that was one of our check marks yeah. we had to make sure yeah <laughs> and his hero was jim Rohn. Mm -hmm. right and what's the quote from jim Rohn? you become the average of the five people you spend time around or is that it's like what happens if we train them and they leave and they'll, and it's well what happens if we don't, we train, don't train them, them and, and they, they stay, stay. <laughs> yes i remember that right? quote. So yeah, yeah, just to your point, like, yeah, they're investing them. And I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we talk about the, the group therapy. So like when June occurred, we we're kind of like, hey, what's going on? How's it going to affect things? And uh, even Micah self in Houston is like, hey, Steve, like, how's your uh, education business is slowed down? I was like, no, everything's fine. Like everyone, fortunately, I'm, I'm built pretty tough and everyone's in CG. Everything's fine. And then October. Yep. In November, we're, in December. <laughs> yep, we're gonna head there next. So now, yeah. so we uh, we talked about the Utah. I remember think if there's any other nuggets from there. So we kept the team, we kept the people, uh, and then we'll we'll get to January. So we'll move to Investor Machine mm -hmm. now. By yeah. by the way, side topic. One of my goals with all podcasts that I'm on is I don't want anyone to ever listen to me at 1.5 speed. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna have to stay at one one hour. Or <laughs> your brain's moving real fast. Um, <laughs> I promise I don't talk this fast all the time, but we got a lot to cover in a little bit of time. Yeah. So you can go 0.75 if you need. <laughs> um, so okay, now we go to Investor Machine. Mm -hmm. So. Very similar with Investor Machine. So Utah Company takes a beating starting in June. Mm -hmm. Investor Machine, still growing, level, off to the races. And it's like, well, this company went to zero, but good thing Investor Machine's the best ever. Uh, and good thing I built it so solid, and good thing I'm the best, and good thing this is amazing, and, and everything else. And no one would ever cut their marketing and direct mail and everything else. Yeah. Well, come later on in the year, September, October, November, that we, you, you and I have discussed this, for, and you, we've discussed this with Stephanie, we've discussed this with a lot of other service mm -hmm. providers. As a service provider, you trail a little bit what's mm -hmm. going on in the real market. Right. So eventually, you know, we started having people cutting back on budgets, mm -hmm. not doing mail anymore, uh, you know, business partnerships breaking, all, all sorts of other different things mm -hmm. uh, to start to slow down that business. And right. we got to have the same thing happen in that business that happened in the Utah business. Mm -hmm is a slowdown. So kind of similar following the same principles. Right. It was honestly kind of a little bit of a welcome relief because that company grew really, really fast mm -hmm. uh, and for a long time. I mean, we were tripling in years and just constantly hiring new people, um, always ads, and, and just trying to keep, keep up with the growth was difficult. Mm -hmm. So to have the little bit of slowdown was honestly kind of a, a welcome relief. Like right. it gave us the chance to rebuild our foundation, do the same thing, find all of the things that were different between mm. what I thought they were and what they actually were, 
uh, and you know, gave us the chance to make some pivots and roll out some new products. Yeah, and I actually saw you do a presentation on like the VA um, org chart. Yes. <laughs> I was like, holy cow, like that is not a small operation. No. That is a significant company. Yeah. So there's a perfect example of the difference between the two, right? Uh, I, uh, ha, you know, when I was on the podcast before, mm -hmm. I talked all about, hey, I've got all these VAs mm -hmm. and they're going directly to the county and they're pulling motivation points direct from the county, mm -hmm. right? I had a CG Select member uh, kindly around that time. I think it was two months after the podcast say, mm -hmm. hey, I double checked your VAs and uh, a lot of these motivation points are wrong. Like... I learned that it's hard for most VA. One of our, one of our uh, motivation points was a beat up rental, mm -hmm. right? Like we'd actually scan through uh, all of the rental listings. And if it looked like it was beat up, we'd throw that one in there. So we, you could reach out to them on mm -hmm. one of our hot sheets, which is where you get the motivation points. So motivation point gets recorded. Uh, and then you call, and then we get it to you and you can call them the very next week. Mm -hmm. So you're getting there before anybody. Right. So beat up rentals are great because it's like, Hey, you got this thing for rent. It's beat up anyways. You want to just get a cash offer for it. Mm -hmm. So type of thing that in a podcast is awesome. Right. Uh, and you can sell and everybody's excited. I'm going to sign up for Investor Machine. I get beat up rentals. This is great. Mm -hmm. Challenge. Uh, training virtual assistants from the Philippines on what's a beat up rental turned out to be harder than I thought. <laughs> uh, he was looking at it. You know, he sent it back to me. He was like, these, mo like, th these are brand new houses and you're calling them beat up. And these other ones you missed. I was like, oh, shoot. So, you know, I sat down with some people and it's like, okay, we're going to look at this house now and everyone to put A or B, beat up versus not. 50-50. Uh, so then we train and train, we do it again. 50-50. This, this is the, when you go get your eye test, like one or two. Yes. One or two. <laughs> yeah. So what started out previous to that is I just had a bunch of VAs pulling motivation points turned into that graph mm -hmm. that you were talking about, mm -hmm. which is now not only do I have all these virtual assistants, but I also have a six-man QA team. And I had to adjust the software to be able to make it so not only do you put the motivation point in, but you have to put the link to the motivation mm -hmm. point in so that it can be QAable. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have leaders of the data miners. And then we have, you know, a person in charge of just opening up all the new markets and counties and everything else. You know, it's yeah. that, that difference between what you say it is mm -hmm. and what it actually is. Right. But uh, now you can say, you could just, it's, this is right. Yeah. I can tell you exactly what right it is that week. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. never it's never 100. Mm -hmm. uh, or at least, yeah, it's never 100 because they QA them. But we sit consistently in the 90 to 100% yeah. uh, every single time on correctness of motivation points. But that's that's the type of thing that we got to go through and work on through mm -hmm. the whole business is closing the gap between what it is and what you think it is. And honestly, one of the crappy parts about Investor Machine compared to the Utah company is Utah company, wholesale company, like you see something, you fix it. You see something, you fix it. Investor machine, you see something, you talk to the developers, the developers build this, you work on that, you do this, you do that. And it's, you know, it takes a little bit longer turnaround. Like yeah. the gap between when the uh, CG member told me, hey, I, you got this problem. And when it was actually fixed was months yeah. versus, you know, you've got a lead manager who's not answering the phone. You yeah. go say, hey, lead manager, answer the phone, and I'm going to track you, and you can be getting results the yeah. next day. Speedboat versus a battleship. Yes. Yeah. Um, so talk about the, 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 uh, the difference, the gap. So you had two transactions, or potentially two transactions, right, in one weekend that had completely opposite results. Yes. Yeah. So this was, this was within the last month. Mm -hmm. So this, this is what we were talking about out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, 
there through through working on the company um it's been uh um i've gotten to where there's less and less things that are um that are happening that uh trying to think of exactly how i want to word this um there's less and less things that are happening that uh or like oh my gosh this is terrible the gap between what it is and what you say it is mm. so we had one uh, home that we just got that that we just closed on, where everything went perfect. Mm-hmm. It was 19 follow ups. Like you you go through the CRM and it's like this person this this lead manager tried it like seven times. Then they passed it to the other lead manager. Like look, I can't get a hold of them. It was just a digital lead that came in. Mm-hmm. They never answered. It's not even like the first time they answered and said, hey, we're interested. Mm-hmm. It was a they never answered. Followed up seven times. Said can't do it. Passed to another lead manager. They followed up ten times. Calls, texts, voicemails, emails. All of it, nothing. Said, hey, this one didn't work for me either. Passed it to the third lead manager. Third lead manager follows up a couple of times and finally say, actually, you know, yeah, I'm interested in an offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, acquisition manager goes right out um, and uh, gets it under contract. Turned out to be a great deal. Mm-hmm. The day after that, I'll, I, I'll change it from two to three because we had three, we had another one. Mm-hmm. So it was a Friday. Uh, my one acquisition manager had started his, his first appointment. This is one of those you say you want two appointments in a day, but sometimes it works out to be more than that. Mm-hmm. So he'd started out at the very south end of my market for an appointment, probably 30 minutes from his house south. The next one, hour and a half to two hours further north. Uh, I think he got no-showed at this one and then no-showed at that one. Uh, <laughs> turns around, uh, drives all the way back to the south of the market again, mm-hmm. two hours, and either no-showed or one of those where you show up at the door and they're like, honestly, like my wife scheduled this, but we're not interested, mm-hmm. right? It's now, I think it's 3.30 or 4. Over 3. On a Friday. Yeah. Uh, lead comes in. Lead manager says, hey, we got another appointment, hour back north. This is heavy traffic time. And if any of you have been to Utah, there's one road that goes north and south. It's called I-15, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like Phoenix where you've got this beautiful working of freeways. There's one road that goes north and south. Yeah. It's a Friday. He's just 0 for 3, and he's like, you know what? I'll take it. I'll go. So appointments at like 5.30 or 6 on a Friday. Turns around, drives all the way back north. This seller had a bunch of meetings on Monday. Uh, meets with the seller. It's going to be one of our, you know, awesome deal. One of our, our better deals yeah. of, of the of the year because he was willing to do that extra. So you look at that and you're like, yes. Same weekend, uh, we, we worked the MLS too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an agent send a 5,000 higher counter. Uh, and team member that was in charge of that one, busy weekend, uh, didn't get to it. Uh, I think it came back on Saturday. On Sunday, counter withdrawal, we got a better offer, lost out on the deal. Mm-hmm. Now, this one we got lucky. The... Offer actually wound up not working out. Mm-hmm. They did come back to us, and we did wind up successfully awesome. moving the deal. So that one was a all's well that ends well. Mm-hmm. But you know, looking at all of those together, it's like, wow. But that I realized. So I'm I'm moving through timeline on this mm-hmm. a little bit. So we we're you know I'm going company timeline timeline, but we're just gonna skip ahead mm-hmm. for a second to now. One thing that I've seen in the market of today is the market of the today rewards the excellent operators. Mm-hmm. Leon, one of your uh, uh, one of CG guys, one of your part in the disruption guys, one of my favorite people on earth, he and I were talking about this, uh, and he's seen similar trends across uh, the nation, that the, the big excellent operators are, and I mean, keep in mind, when I say excellent operators, we all still have our troubles, right? Like, we all, 
Rob and I sometimes will say to each other, sometimes I swear we're successful despite ourselves rather than because of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, so we're definitely not perfect, but the people that are operating over on a high level are having the best years that they have. And the people that are operating lower level are really struggling right now. And those are just a couple examples of almost every deal we get is within inches, Mm -hmm. right? We were an inch higher and we got a great deal. We were an inch lower and there's no way we got the deal. I kind of liken this right now and it sucks for someone that's newer. It's it's not an inspiring message. Um, (laughs) You and I are good at that sometimes. It's why why we don't have like the best podcasts out there (laughs) is because sometimes we, we do a little too much like, not the inspiring message, but this is the stuff that's actually going to make it work. Yeah, this is what's real. Yeah. So I kind of look at like running a wholesaling business. It's kind of like the Miami Heat last year in the finals against the Nuggets, right? You can win a game. Yeah. You can win a game. But look. <laughs> Yo, Kitch. <laughs> you got to have the lead manager on point. Get to answer the call as it comes in. Yep. If you don't answer the call, you got to get back to them within like three minutes, not five minutes. Forget the five-minute rule, like three minutes. Mm-hmm. You got to sell the appointment. And the acquisition manager go out there and actually work the appointment the right way with the right numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that with the right numbers is huge. That's yeah. been a, I talked about refining each part of the business. That's been one of the biggest and best things that we've refined this year. Yeah. The, the top, and sorry to interrupt you, having the best numbers. And we, I actually just argued with Cody Hoffhein and mm-hmm. Mark Stubler about this at the event I was at last mm-hmm. week, because they're on team numbers don't matter. I'm on team numbers do matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when you're competing he who's most confident wins. Yeah. When you've got multiple people in there, he who actually knows what they can pay and move it for mm-hmm. wins. And I actually believe getting good at numbers has been one of our the biggest. confidence is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with the right numbers and then having the TC maintain a good relationship with the homeowner this whole time and having the display manager do a decent job of moving the property, creating, having conversations with the best potential buyers for that deal. And that's assuming everything goes right there. And if you don't answer it, Having this follow-up, he's talking about 19 follow-up touches, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, this is the Miami Heat. Like, you have to have everyone, (laughs) everything on point. You have to play the perfect game right? if you want to make it right now, right? If you're going to play, you know, the imperfect game, you're going to get beat by a better operator, I believe, right now. Not to say that you couldn't do it. Like, if a solo operator that's running lean, they can crush you right now. But this guy that's trying to go from, like, two-person team to I want to have a bigger company, there are so many things that have to go right. Right. Because the market is the one seed mm-hmm. right now, yeah. right? And we, we're still the eight seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're proud of what we've done, but we're still the eight seed. And, and ultimately, what's driving that is inventory. Mm-hmm. So uh, if this was a presentation, I'd pull up my graph of what inventory's done yeah. for the last little bit. Uh, and you can see like inventory it, nationwide is down like, 20 to 30, as much as in, in markets like yours can be as much as like 40% mm-hmm. down. Now, when I say inventory, that means total number of sellers that choose to sell a house, right. right? Here's the thing about our business. We only make money when a seller chooses to sell a house. Yeah. And if you have a third less of those sellers choosing Op- to sell a house. Opting out of the market or two thirds opting out of the market. Yeah, yeah. That, that plays a big effect. Now, Again, on a podcast, you can come back and say, oh, but motivated sellers are different. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Like, realtors are definitely getting hit harder than us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is, this is why I think my investor machine list has performed so well is because we are so motivation-centric. We're mm-hmm. finding the people that have to sell because the ones that we lost are the upgraders. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it used to be like, you know, my home's a little bit of a dump. I'm going to go buy a home 
just like mine five streets away, uh, and now I'll have a shiny new house. Mm-hmm. Problem with that, you buy the exact same house next door, your monthly payment just doubled because yeah. of the difference in interest rate. So all of those people are choosing to stay. What, uh, let's finish the, the, the story and then we're gonna talk about comps. Okay, uh, so you wanna finish the timeline? Yeah. Or, well, okay, that's great. So uh, rewinding back, now we're, so we, we've been hanging out in 2023. Now we're rewinding back to uh, 2022. Mm, Q4. Uh, yep, Q4 2022. So investor machine. Uh, so this gave us the chance to do a whole lot of refining, which I, I was grateful for and excited mm. about. Yeah. So, but again, took longer to get all of that and you have the delayed effect. Yeah. So we also were able, so one, one thing that we found at Investor Machine is, you know, we, we had our recipe. And the, the thing that I found about every service provider out there is they have their recipe. Mm-hmm. And, and by service provider, I mean marketing company specifically. Mm-hmm. So you can talk any of your PPC companies, any of your uh, PPC, SEO, cold calling, uh, any of the list providers, et cetera. We all have a specific recipe. Yep. TV would be another good example as yep. well. And even like last, last week on the boat, we would bring up a service provider that, we, that, that a lot of people use, right? Could be Darren for TV, could be Tony Javier for TV, could be Bateman, could be you know, uh, PBC Force, could be I- any of those, mm-hmm. right? And we would say, okay, who uses this service provider or has used a service provider? And you know, everybody would raise their hand and be like, all right, who's crushing? And th- keep in mind, this, this, this trip I was on was just excellent operators. Mm-hmm. Like I was in the bottom half of the room. This is five, six, seven, eight million uh, a year operators, mm-hmm. right? And one person would be like, you know, so we'd be like, okay, you know, who's using the service provider? Everybody raise their hand. Uh, who's crushing it? Half the hands would go up. Who is doing terrible? The, the other half the hands would go up, right? So in this market, this service provider is doing great. In this market, this service provider is doing great. In this market, and, and it was just like a mix of all of them. Mm-hmm. There was no one that was, it, even me with Investor Machine, I was, we had, I had, it was a small group. It was eight people. I had four people using Investor Machine, three crushing, one not doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the thing that I've learned is, um, we have this recipe where it's like, okay, we're going to go get all the motivation points directly from the county. And then you're going to fill out your buy box. You're going to score the property type. You're going to score the seller type. You're going to score the zip code. Mm. And then based on that, we'll rank everybody. And I, you know, I will give you some insight in terms of how I think you should probably do that based off of what we've seen that's traditionally worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it creates the buy box, just like we've done for you. Mm. Uh, this is who you should market to first. This is who you should market to last and everyone everywhere in between. Problem with that, a couple people that you and I were talking about earlier, Jimmy Vreeland, St. Louis, been with me for, since 2020, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, consistent, great quarter after quarter results. Uh, Mark De La Tour, Kansas City instead of St. Louis, very similar market, struggled, uh, had multiple people in Kansas City struggle. So we learned you can't just apply the same formula across all markets, because mm-hmm. we would say, Okay, a notice of default's worth four points. This zip code's, we're gonna score a five. A uh, out-of-state absentee's worth two points. An eviction's worth this many. You know, a code violation's worth that many. And we would apply that same formula across the nation. Mm-hmm. But what we learned is in one market, absentees are great, right? Like in St. Louis, using Jimmy as mm-hmm. an example, absentee owners crush it because mm-hmm. that's, that's a turnkey market, it's great. His burned out landlord is his favorite list. Now I come bring that exact same formula to Phoenix, Sun City, 
How's that going to go? Not so good. Not so good, right? <laughs> because I'm going to mail all of these uh, second homes mm -hmm. that are probably in pretty good shape of people that aren't interested in selling. Right. So what we did is we hired a data team, spent hundreds of thousands in data and development and everything else, and figured out, okay, in every market, who sold to investors? Mm -hmm. And then we can then build the buy box market-specific around who actually sold to investors. Right. So that's been huge. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, we're just rolling it out to, to a lot of our members now. But I mean, it's one of the first ones I did it with in North Carolina, guys that have been with us for years already, actually their return beats my return. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always funny when that happens. It's like, yeah. I'm the guy that owns the company and you're doing even better with this <laughs> than me. Um, but uh, even from there, they said after we did this, their call volume doubled mm -hmm. with us because it's like, hey, we're market. So not only is it the fresher motivation points, but it's also exactly which ones work mm -hmm. to that specific degree in that specific market. And there you're still using the, the public record data points. Mm -hmm. Got it. In addition to the scoring and everything else, but mm -hmm. rather than we were scoring based off of our best guess and what mm -hmm. we thought worked. And that was kind of universal across the country. Kind of, yeah. So the actual buy box uh, in terms of what zip codes matter, we would fill that out individually mm -hmm. with you. Uh, or, you know, which, which seller type is most important, which owner type is most important, which uh, property size, which value is most important. There's, mm -hmm. some, there's some pretty easy ones, right? Like, yeah. is a million-dollar seller, is a million-dollar home or a uh, $250,000 home more likely to sell to an investor? Obviously a two hundred and fifty. dollars but yeah. every single time I sit down and go over the member's buy box with these and say, hey, this is our guess, and this is who actually sold to investors, I'm always like, oh, well, shoot. One, one, that, get, one that gets me all the time is evictions. Mm -hmm. I used to think evictions were the bomb and like best motivation ever. Like you just evicted a tenant. Yeah. You hate your life. Mm -hmm. You hate that rental. You want to get rid of it. That's what intuition would say. That's what makes sense. That's what makes sense. Go look at it. In a lot of markets, someone having an eviction makes them less likely to sell to an investor than if they were just absentee. Mm. Why? It makes no sense. Yeah. It does not track logically, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> like lo you, you, logic is about, you know, ego. What mm -hmm. matters is what does the data say? Right. Um, so that, you know, the slowdown gave us the opportunity to do things like that, as well as be able to uh, add, add in additional marketing channels. So one of, one of our visions is the one-stop shop. Mm -hmm. You have your dedicated account manager and billing team who you love, who's looking across all of your marketing channels, partner and we partner with the best service providers out there mm -hmm. to then be able to say, okay, you know, you've got this much marketing budget. We're going to send this much to mail. We're going to send this much to pay-per-click. We're going to send this much to cold calling. We're going to send this much to, you know, wherever else with highest level KPIs, data and tracking back so that we can then meet consistently and say, Hey, this is how much that, you know, this one's performing at this level, this one's performing at this level. And we can move each of these up and down based off of that. Right. So I think that pretty well wraps up uh, 2022. Mm -hmm. So end of 2022, feeling it, right? Doing a good job at focusing on what we control and doing a good job at rallying the troops, which yeah. was one of, I will say, one of the more difficult parts, right? It was fairly, honestly, I don't know how people did it in 2008 because you look at the down in 2008 and it was like 2008, 2009, 2010, mm -hmm. <laughs> like it kept going down. We were like, six months, but even still, it's like, don't worry guys, it's gonna turn around. We're gonna like continuing to rally the troops. Mm -hmm. And luckily, Creation Utah, coming back over to the wholesale company now, January is when, latter part of January is when it finally picked back up. Mm -hmm. 
And fortunately for us, the team was in place, the marketing was in place, everything was set so that when it went up, we went up. All right. It's kind of like a book, uh, Shift by Gary Keller. Yes. Read it more than once, including yeah. recently. And what, what, what do I call the meetings in Investor Machine that we do, that we do every, uh, like, through, we went, we went to doing them weekly in, uh, from, like, July, August, September, in the heart of it, mm-hmm. the Shift meeting, uh-huh. right? So every week, we got all the Investor Machine members together and said, okay, you know, what are we doing? What's working? presented mm-hmm. to them because my thing is I can I can be the best service provider ever. I can provide great lists, et cetera, but the operator also has to be able to perform. And so we do we provide consistent training and things like that as well to mm-hmm. try to help the operator be able to perform at a right. higher level. So now 2023, having your best year ever. Yes. So uh one thing we talked about is two and a half million revenue year to date mm-hmm. from 15 lead sources. Yeah. Typically, we hear is like, you know, what's your best list? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what, what's working for you? And it's like, ah, oh, you know, there's two things, three things. I've never heard anyone having eight or more. <laughs> I think like seven is like the most I've ever heard. Yeah. So 15. Mm-hmm. What's the theory behind that? So I am a very big believer <clears throat> that the only way to have an established business mm-hmm. is to have multiple well-performing marketing channels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm in a variety of masterminds and I'm in the space and basically every traveling salesperson who says, hey, can I give you leads in exchange for money? I say yes to. The most recent one, and I already have the 15, but on the flight here this morning, uh, I got a cold text. Hey, I do uh, digital SEO leads, paper lead. Uh, It's going to be like 200 bucks a lead. Uh, You want to test us out? Yes. (laughs) Actually, that's not true. I was a good visionary. I said, hey, Rob, uh, I've got a, uh, actually, it, w- while we're here, we might as well be truthful. I told him yes. And then I thought, you know what? I should be a good visionary. Uh, and went back to Rob and said, hey, uh, I've got a new service provider. I think we try him out. And he was like, okay, we can do it. Uh, it's three grand, right? right? So the idea is like every traveling service provider that mm-hmm. comes through, mm-hmm. I'm like, sure, let's do it. I'm like, you know, have I lost money on plenty? Yes. Yeah. Because again, that same principle from before, different markets, Things work better, things work worse, mm-hmm. up and down, and I just try them all. And the ones that stick, I keep. Right. Um, so you're always testing. Oh, always testing. And 15 uh, have survived the test. Currently, there's 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 some that that won't make it, but mm-hmm. yes, 15 have survived the test. And the other interesting thing, I did this presentation once for CG Select. If you go quarter over quarter, all the way back to 2020, they're doing this. All marketing channels, they're going up and down and up and down. Each one you know, is different. Mm-hmm. I will say if I had to pick my most solid, consistent channel, it would be my investor machine mail. Right. Ma- mail is like the backbone. It just mm-hmm. keeps on going. Now, that's probably year over year. Quarter over quarter, I have a quarter where it wins, and then I have a quarter where it comes in third or fourth. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, uh, this quarter, I think it's my relationships that are first, followed by, and this is an interesting one. This one has never made the top three before, but my SEO is number two mm-hmm. this quarter. And then, but I do everything based off of revenue because as you know from talking to me, do I care about deal count? No. No, I don't care about deal count. If I can get all the revenue I want on one deal, that's great with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you asked me what my deal count is for the year before we started. And what did I do? You had to look it up. I had no, I, I don't even think I could have guessed within 25 mm-hmm. what, what my deal count is because yeah. deal count is about this mm-hmm. revenue and especially net revenue 
that's all that ultimately matters. I work for net revenue. I don't work for deal count. So 15 different um, lead sources, I imagine. I and mean, maybe it's no big deal, but it's got to be a little bit of a nightmare to track, is it not? Um, I have a good team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not bad because, I mean, they all have different numbers. It's all on an individual mm-hmm. spreadsheet. And I think 13 of the 15 have performed this quarter. Mm-hmm. Oh, but what I was saying with the SEO, the thing about me tracking revenue is all you need is one $80,000, deal, mm-hmm. and it greatly skews the numbers for right. that quarter, right? Yeah. That's why you can't give give a marketing channel too much weight mm-hmm. in, in, in one quarter and everything else. But they're all going up and down. My, my top performer from Q1 that was my top performer by a lot is doing terrible mm-hmm. right now. Well, the, um, one thing we look at in our, in our ROI calculator is we have it 30, 90, and 12 months. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, how did it do in the last 30 days? Right? How did it do in the last 90 days? How did, it, how did it do in the last 12 months? Because it's so, like, you can spend the money every month, but you don't know when exactly it's going to pop off. And, and they're all different. And the reason I honestly believe a big part of why I'm successful is because I have all of those marketing channels. So when one goes down, uh, I'm still okay. Yeah. So, um, to- for, for example, relationships. Mm-hmm. 20, I think 2020, I had over a million dollars yeah, in relationship bros. deals. Yeah. And they were crushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I, I talked about it on the last podcast again. Mm-hmm. I was, ah, look at me. I'm so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly after that podcast, I think we went like six months without hardly a deal because in that super hot, low inventory stuff selling immediately off the MLS and harder to find deals, everybody was keeping their deals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And no one was taking any type of lowball on the MLS, right? Like, you know, you listed on the MLS and someone's like, you know, I'll give you 50 grand over list price, no due diligence, and I don't Mm -hmm. care what it appraises for. And we're like, well, I'll give you 30000 under list price uh, with due diligence, yeah. but I'm an investor, and people are like, buzz off, right? Yeah. So in that market, relationships were crushing. But if I had an all-relationship business, mm-hmm. you know, 2022, my business would have been done and gone. What, um, so just to argue the other perspective, why not just go all in on just investor machine only? Um, because even it goes up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're okay with the roller coaster, that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but even still, I feel like you reach a point of diminishing return in all marketing channels. Now, I've had people spend as much as 150000 a month with me in Investor Machine, mm-hmm. but that was across multiple markets. Right. Like, there's really only so much you can spend mm-hmm. in one market in one marketing channel. Yeah. So that's the other reason why I have so many is because I'm constantly like, okay, how much can I spend? And I did it just a couple months ago. Like, we're just going to creep this up. And see what happens to the the return, right? My goal is I want, you know, it's like, and and it's funny that we don't see it this way as real estate investors. Mm-hmm. But if I'm like, hey, Steve, I'm going to give you a dollar and you're going to give me four or five back. The first thought that goes through my mind is how many dollars can I give you? Mm-hmm. And, how is, long, and how long can we keep doing this? And yeah, how long can we keep doing this? But so many, and again, I'm, I'm on both sides of this because I'm the investor, but I'm also the... Uh, um, on the service provider side too, right? I'll talk to people and they're like, oh yeah, I'm getting a 10X return with you guys. That's great. You haven't moved your budget in like a year. Why? Oh, I, I don't know. I just thought that, you know, eight grand a month was good. On my, on my side, I'm like, I want to keep giving more money mm-hmm. until you start giving me less dollars because right. seems like a, you know, like, and my, my target is I want to be in the four to five X. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with two to three to hang on to it, hopefully getting up if we're in the one or below, 
obviously it's a waste of time. We, we, we can't keep that. Now, that doesn't mean the second it drops down to there, I cut it. Otherwise, I'd have cut every marketing channel I've ever had mm-hmm. because they, they're all doing this up and down and up and down. I like to look at it over so a year. So it's really the roller coaster and diversity. What, um, but oh, I, want, I want to add one thing to that, though. Because, you know, sometimes I say things like this up from stage and podcasts and people are like, I took that one sentence that you said and I went all in on it. <laughs> you know, like I think one person came with me. I said something one time and my first hire was a COO. And I was like, oh, no, what did I do? <laughs> uh, like, I am so sorry that I said something that made you think that you needed to bring in a high level COO before you had revenue. Like um, <laughs> um, one at a time. Mm-hmm. If you go start 10 marketing channels, you will fail mm-hmm. and you will spend a lot of money. So. Yeah. This is because I've been doing this for years and years and testing them out and bringing them in one at a time and have a company set up and things like that. So start with direct mail. Mm -hmm. Start with online lead aggregators. Start with your Mm pay-per-click. Most people aren't going to start with TV, but if you're really feeling it, just we'll go straight to TV. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) You know, start with one of those. Are you doing TV? No. It was one. Utah and TV are not friends. What I, remember what I told you about market to market, Mm -hmm. right? Like when, when Darren first came in and everyone in, uh, um, CG was absolutely crushing it with mm-hmm. TV. Uh, I, we, I tried it. Other people tried it. Multiple service providers, just Utah and TV, just have not been a fit. But mm-hmm. on that boat that I was on, there were people all over last week crushing mm-hmm. it in TV. Right. So, like, absolutely, obli- and I wish that TV worked because TV's everything, like, you know, I love the idea of the higher barrier to entry, the higher amount that you can spend to be able to get an ROI and mm-hmm. everything else. Like TV's awesome, but uh, none of us have figured it out yet in Utah. I'm sure. Give me, give me a little bit of time. I'll probably All right. try it again. But uh, so 13, 15 different lead sources. Talk about like 80, 20 rule still applies here, though, right? Like 20 percent is still providing 80 percent of the revenue. Has not been the case for me. No, but I do. Wa- but I do watch that and was much more so the case. That's part of why I started Investor Machine mm-hmm. uh, is because the 80-20, I, I noticed from doing my own, uh, you know, all of my own marketing for years, that's like, wait a minute, this list and this list and this list is producing 80% of the revenue. Why don't I just go all in on, on this? Right. Um, so uh, I've definitely seen the 80-20 principle, but what I see much more so over the years is they're all going... So keep going up and down. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what about investor machine in this time? Okay. So we're in the second half of the year, mm-hmm. right? So investor machine really has ha- continuation of rolling out all of these things, uh, w- diving in, refining, improving every different aspect of the mm-hmm. business. So Utah company picked back up, start of the year, took investor machine a little bit longer to pick back up, but has finally picked back up. I mm-hmm. think we signed up 18 new members uh, last year. And the nice part is we have open slots in right. some markets again <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, be, because we, we lost some people along the way. So we've got, the, we've got the opportunity to grow quick again before we get all of our spots full again. So um, I don't know which providers got cut the most, but I suspect it's probably direct mail because of the longer cash conversion cycle. You got a couple of challenges. With, so you got some challenges and advantages to every different marketing mm-hmm. channel. Uh, yeah, T- TV and mail would be my guess is two of the ones that got hit harder because longer conversion cycle, uh, and they're typically more of like your, your bigger budget item, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. marketing channel. So when you're when you're thinking I need to cut back, I need to save money, you're looking, it's like, oh, there's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, your big advantage to direct mail is the ability to be targeted. Mm-hmm. Uh, with and and in this, you know, in this lower inventory market, the ability to actually dive in and hit the specific people that are uh, that are the ones that are genuinely going to be most likely to sell the mm-hmm. ones that have motivation. That's your big advantage with mail. Your big advantage with the digital leads right now in a lower inventory market is the paper lead. Yeah. Because if you think about it, TV and direct mail, you're paying for views. Mm-hmm. Uh, digital, you're paying for actual clicks, mm-hmm. which has an which has an advantage in the lower inventory market. So, you know, they they have different advantages and disadvantages in different markets, but I'm seeing them all work. And when I Got talk it. about TV, seeing them work for friends more right. so than us specifically in Utah. I don't know what it is about us Utah people, but t- TV marketing doesn't lead to choosing to sell your home. Hmm. I wonder how much Avatar has to do with this. Because um, I don't understand. I don't really understand. The, I haven't looked into the demographics in Salt Lake City. No. So, again, I was kind of mentioned earlier. So, along this time, me, you, and Stephanie Betters, right, with Left Main REI, because we're both operators and service and providers. Mm-hmm. So, it was a group text. It was like, hey, how are you doing? Right? There's like a month, month and a half. And then you guys are like, yeah, we're doing good again. I think Stephanie first. I'm doing good again. And you're like, oh, we're picking things back up. I was like, I'm going to sit over here by myself. But You can call me anytime. <laughs> so, but in this time, right, we're, we're doing a little bit of group therapy. So you, meant, you, meant, you mentioned a couple of things. More competition, you feel like right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has not been our experience. But our marketing is different, right? So talk to me about right now you feel like when you're going into the living room, it's more of your competitors are talking to the same seller right now. True. Yes. Yeah. So I believe a couple of reasons. One, we did not have a huge winnowing out of uh, um, competition. Yeah. We had a huge winnowing out of sellers, though. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> um, so I believe that's part of it. Another part of it is uh, the specific marketing that's working best for us right now is investor machine mail, which actually, interestingly... I have quite a few rentals myself, mm-hmm. and there's a lot less people. Uh, I get a lot less postcards. Mm-hmm. In like 2021, every single time I got the mail, you could take to the bank that I got a postcard. Yeah. And now I'm lucky if it's one a week, one every other week, other than obviously my seed letters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the fact that mail as well as the, the digital marketing is, is a lot of where my budget is right now mm-hmm. probably contributes to it as well because sure. – you know, we talk about different channels having different advantages and disadvantages. Mm-hmm. One of the disadvantages of digital is that your competition's a half an inch away, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like right. they click on yours, they click on the next <laughs> one, they click on the next one. It's one of the worst parts of lead aggregators too, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, if you have a couple of lead aggregators and you get a shopper, mm-hmm. that, you know, you, you sit down with that seller and that could be a thousand, two thousand dollar, thousand, two thousand dollar lead by the time they clicked on multiple mm-hmm. different sources. Definitely. So that can be a downside to that. Um, and then comparables. So you were saying it's really important to know the number before you go. So I believe that you believe that, mm-hmm. right? Because you're, if you know your number is you're confident, like, Hey, when I pay this price, this is the money is going to show up when you close. Yes. Right. Like you can deliver that confidence. What's the argument for the other side? It's actually, it's, so we, we had this, this I know, argument. That's what I'm saying. So I'm, the, the primary argument for the other side, uh, 
do, do you know Cody Hoffine's definition of ARV? I think it originates with Tom Crawl, but Tom Crawl, Cody Hoffine, ARV, in their opinion, stands for assumptions reduce victories. Um, so assumptions reduced victories. I yes. haven't heard that before. Yes. So there we go. Something new on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is you're coming in confident what you're going to pay, right? You're saying, hey, I know what ARV is and I know what I'm going to sell it for. Uh, are you right? Because, you know, let's take a house in Mesa mm-hmm. and let's send seven appraisers through the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys have thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of experience. And they ha- it, it's crazy what they have to go through to become an appraiser. It it's honestly insane. crazy what appraisers have to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, are you going to get seven of the same number? No, but they should be pretty close. In, in theory. Oftentimes, depending on the house, right? Mm-hmm. Mesa was probably a bad example because I'm guessing a lot of the houses are probably pretty similar. There. I mean, we're in Arizona. Everything's pretty cookie cutter. Yeah. So, you know, I had it happen once, uh, a house in Bountiful, where, and it was a very cookie cutter house. Like in Utah, we love, we would call it the tri-multi-level. It's mm-hmm. got four different levels. Uh, like, uh, I'll spare the explanation of the house, but one of the most cookie cutter houses. Uh, we had an appraiser go out, appraised for 300, or appraised for 250. Our offer was 300. We panicked. Luckily, it was conventional. We threw the appraisal away, had a new appraiser come out, mm-hmm. appraised at 300. Right. So the, the, the argument back is, and you know, we see it, we, and I mentioned this on the podcast last time, but I'll mention it again. We have a spreadsheet where anytime someone fills out an offer, we ask them, hey, what do you think repairs are? And what do you think, the, the, what do you think it'll sell for after mm-hmm. it's done? And the only consistent thing is that every answer is different. And sometimes there'll be a $100,000 swing between them. Mm-hmm. So the, the argument back is you don't actually know anyways. So just mm-hmm. go for the lowest that you can, mm-hmm. and it'll mean that you don't make a mistake. Right. Which we want to do as well, because we don't want to make offers as far as for the house. I mean, like, team's kind of upset with me, frustrated with me, because my contractor says like $10,000. <laughs> I'm paying $10,000 on top of what he owes. Like, that's the agreement, mm-hmm. right? So that's the actual contract I turned in on, on Monday. They're like, what is this? Like, yeah, we're paying him $10,000 at close, right? That's what he's walking away with. Yeah, yeah. There's no purchase price. Right. Um, and so they're saying since the number isn't realistic or you can't really know, then what's the point? Right, and just go for as low as you can. Well, the I agree with as low as you can. Yeah, and we, we do that too. But And when you're just meeting with a seller one-to-one, and you're the only person that's meeting with them, you can get away with that. Mm-hmm. But when it's you followed by me, followed by the next person, you know, you can just lock it up if you want, but mm-hmm. you're most likely just going to waste your disposition team's time and disappoint the seller. And the TC's time. And the TC's time, yes. And, and the setup company. And, and everybody's <laughs> time, right? And, and, and my wholesale emails are extravagant. We do Matterport tours. We, uh, you know, we do uh, drone flyover mm-hmm. footage. We, you know, it takes us a lot of time. We do a cut, we do two different walkthroughs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a pretty decent cost to send you a wholesale um, email. We've, we've got our quarterly this Friday, right? Mm-hmm. In two days. Uh, Amanda Dean's coming in to run our quarterly. Nice. And one of our objectives. She's so sharp. Yeah, she is. One of our objectives. There's your takeaway. Have Amanda Dean do your quarterly. There you go. Sharper <laughs> solutions. Uh, one of the things we're talking about potentially doing a quarterly is hiring an underwriter. So what are your thoughts? I did it. It's been great. Yeah. So you have an underwriter. I did, and it's the best thing. And it's it's the best. I w- I'm gonna I'm gonna do that thing where we take it. It's the best thing I ever did for my CEO. It's the best <laughs> thing my CEO did for himself uh, that I gave that I that I was okay with. Yeah. Uh, because he was the one ultimately doing the final number run. Because ultimately, if you're buying a house, it needs to be done based off of 
a fairly intelligent <laughs> ARV, yeah. right? Uh, and it, it saved him from being able to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's been one of the better hires that, that we've made. What uh, do you pay that person? Um, so he is a college student. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe we're like, uh, like 20 an hour. 20 an hour. Yeah. yeah. And that's a local. Uh, that's a steal. You can get somebody really good overseas potentially for less than that. Uh, and I'm sure that there's, uh, and it, it, it just worked for us. We mm-hmm. had the relationship. It's, it's a win-win. It's great. Yeah. If anyone knows anybody else that needs a job in underwriting, let me know. Because uh, <laughs> we're probably going to have a decision to hire one uh, in, in Q4. F- Phil and Eric really did a good job at opening up the potential mm-hmm. of that too. You know, because the idea is you need someone genuinely looking to see what's everything you can do with this property. There's nothing worse than wholesaling a house making 10 grand that had a zoning on it that could have been knocked down and made into a tenplex mm-hmm. that to the right person could have been a $300,000 wholesale fee and you just let it go for 10 grand. Well, I mean, that's like our best deal ever. We made like a quarter mil on it, right? Close yeah. to. And all, all we did, not all we did, but one of the things we were able to do was say, oh, that's a lot split. Yes. Right? Yeah. So let's sell the lot for what we bought the house for. Right. And then the other lot with the house is all profit. And if you're relying on your acquisition managers to figure that out, that's not, I mean, Tell me, sales trainer, is that a good idea? <laughs> we want you to sell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? And even, uh, I actually had a conversation with Eric Brewer about this, because um, you're saying, like, we get our, our salespeople who are generally emotions-driven, right? Sign up for novations. Yeah. <laughs> they're generally emotions-driven. Maybe they're drinking a monster or whatever, right? <laughs> Getting amped up to go to the appointment. And right before they do that, they want you to run some comps. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I actually still make my acquisition managers run comps. Mm-hmm. So... We do it somewhat redundant. I make the acquisition managers run comps as well as the analyst mm-hmm. run comps because uh, I still want my acquisition managers to have the confidence mm-hmm. of this is, this is what's going on in this market. This is, this is yeah. uh, you know, the comps that I see, and you know, this is what the, the analyst shared with us, but this is what it actually is. Yeah. Well, the one thing I liked from Eric's presentation back then was, yeah, we have underwriters. And then once a week or once a month, they just train the acquisition managers on how to do comps. They don't do the comps, but they know how to do the comps yeah. if necessary. Uh, all right. So then the other thing, too, is, I mean, Investor Machine, uh, I think one of the things I love about Investor Machine, the reason why we, went, why we work with you guys was that, you know, was that, uh, not only am I the president of a client, too. Yes. Was it uh, Hair Club for Men? Is that what it is? Something. Yeah. Right. So I know, like, when I, this was right around when we joined Collective Genius. And it was a question about direct mail, right? It wasn't a Jason Lewis presentation. It was like, hey, let's all talk about direct mail. And you were on the call. I remember this. I was actually at a Sharper event in Orlando yeah. on the call. Uh, I remember exactly where I was standing. Yeah, and they're like, hey, Jason, like, what do you think about this? And you're like, well. And then you went on like this 15-minute presentation <laughs> on analytics, profiles, who reads what, this and that, rotation, like how often they should be mailing, what works in this market, what works in that market. I was like, I don't know anything this guy's talking about, but he's clearly passionate about it. <laughs> right? It is fun. Right? And anyone that's passionate about it, uh, there's something, you know, you and I are both, again, you know, we're, we're Darren Hardy geeks, right? Like, there's something that I love about someone else who loves what they do. It's addicting, right? So, like, um, my kids, the oldest two have dropped out of the piano since, but, like, I was so, uh, I love that they were going through East Valley Yamaha because the guy that was teaching them happens to be a world-class um, maestro, 
right? It just happens to, like when he left his when he fled his country, <laughs> he was a world class maestro, and now he's the maestro at uh, Chandler Center of the Arts now. But before that, like you got this guy, you watch like, these movies with these super intense, you know, like screaming at the violinist, whatever. Like he's that guy. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Uh, my kids, I put him in kung fu lessons and watch this guy teach my kids. It's like, oh, this guy's legit. This is not like he's interested in this. Like he is like devoted his life to this. Yeah. Right. And I believe he's world class. I, uh, even though he's 60, I would feel totally comfortable. Like, hey, go in a ring and go fight somebody. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you wouldn't fight him. I, no, he throws me around like a rag doll. Right. But I signed up to learn from him. Right. So there's something about, you know, people that are world class and passionate about something. When I saw that, I was like, all right. We're signing up for this. You have to be, or you won't see through <laughs> the hard times. And yeah, that, it's true. And to me, being a wholesaler, one thing that I didn't realize when I got into it, you're not a real estate investor. No. You, you run a sales and marketing company, yeah. and your widget is real estate. Exactly. And fortunately, I really like sales and marketing. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it went from I do this on my own for myself to, hey, can I do this for other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you have success. Hey, Jason, I like what you're doing. Can you do this for me too? Yeah. It's actually how my sales training started, right? It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to have this awesome sales training program. I was like, hey, let me talk to you about what I'm doing. And they were like, that looks cool. I want that. So, um, yeah, it's that obsession. So the other thing we did, you and I, was, hey, we should have this lead manager software thingy. I remember. It was very early on (laughs) in the AI days. Yeah. Uh, And we wanted, because one thing you and I are both passionate about is answer the dang call and make sure your lead manager doesn't suck, Yeah. right? And even still, I've got lead managers that aren't with me now uh, that you know, I'd get in and listen to the calls, even when we were working on rolling this out, that it was like, oh my gosh, this is so bad, mm-hmm. right? Like that was totally a motivated seller and they were, they were gone. And so you know, in working with a lot of my investor machine clients mm-hmm. and realizing, hey, one thing that you guys are not doing is like answering the phone. And if you could hear your person, it would be so bad. So. What I do, I got out my drum. Listen to your dang calls. Listen to your dang calls. Listen to your dang calls. And no one marched to my call. No one marched to my drum. Yeah. So then it's like, okay, this is, and this is always the way my mind goes, right? It's like, and this is the reason why Investor Machine is almost entirely done for you, mm-hmm. is because all of the things that I try to convince you to do, you don't do. So it's mm-hmm. like, fine, I'll just do it for you. <laughs> um, and that's what works. But I will say, as much as I talk a big game, uh, Previous to Investor Machine, the biggest thing that held me back from ROI and mail, I would look at the end of the year and I would be like, hey, I got, you know, four or five X return on mail. This is great. Why did I only spend that? Oh, yeah, because I only sent mail eight of the 12 months Mm -hmm. or nine of the 12 months because those other three months I was tinkering or I was twisting or I wanted to try a new creative Mm -hmm. or I wanted to mess with a new list and I didn't send it out. Mm -hmm. Turn my mail over to Investor Machine. I have not missed a week of mail in years because they do it for me. So mm-hmm. even though I'm talking about beating the drum, but mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even consistently send mail out when I was doing it by myself. Right. Um, so, you know, beat the drum, listen to the calls. And then we're like, okay, we're going to do it for people. Mm-hmm. Hence, the software came in, partnered with a software, trained it to, and basically it was a call center software mm-hmm. to be able to, uh, and basically we were making every different lead manager for every different person mm-hmm. our, uh, our call center. Train the AI software to be able to pick out keywords. I mean, a, you know, sounds sexy, AI. In the end, it was just keywords and mm-hmm. connecting keywords and things like that. Um, the company and software proved to be exceptionally difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those things that you sit down and you talk about, you get excited about, 
uh, and you sign the big contract, you announce it in the podcast. Not that we did that. Oh, wait, we did. I think we still have a wait list waiting, <laughs> waiting out there for us as soon as we're ready. And <laughs> we, ready. we announced that in uh, October of 2021. <laughs> um, <laughs> and roadblock after roadblock after difficulty. Company wound up difficult to work with. Uh, and then along the way, in all of our challenge of figuring this out, rolling this out, all the different challenges and, and everything else, tons of resources dumped into this, AI evolved so fast and became you know, normal enough that now it almost doesn't matter what your call software is. It has that same degree of AI in it to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the value proposition was essentially not really there. We could really hammer a bunch more uh, like marketing and sales and everything else into this, but it's not necessarily to something that's like truly wildly valuable. Mm -hmm. So we uh, said, you know what? Uh, we're going to cut our losses mm -hmm. and continued losses because the contract's not done yet. After everything's said and done, might be a difficult number to say on air. Oh. <laughs> How much do you think, you, besides the time and effort and everyone's time worth? Oh, yeah. If I'm, if I, and especially if I'm including that, it's six figures. Yeah. So uh, excluding I think all potentially that. even without that, I might be flirting with that, like six, like coming up to six figures and then potentially multiple six figures yeah. after that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a case in point. Yes. Whale club. We're, going, we're going whale club. Yeah. yeah. My, I will say like times like this is when you're grateful for great partnerships. Yeah. Right. Like you were a champion through this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mike, the other owner of Investor Machine mm -hmm. has been a champion through the Because this, this was my thing. Yeah. I was the one that was excited about mm -hmm. it. I was the one that was driving forward on this. They included, you know, and everybody believed in me, supported mm -hmm. me, uh, you know, jumped in and dealt with the, uh, you know, embarrassing, like we announced this on a podcast and nothing mm -hmm. came from it. Yeah. Well, I mean, these things happen. <laughs> right. Uh, well, and you cannot make every shot you take, and yeah. you have to just be okay to just keep taking shots. But yes, coming back to Whale Club, case yeah. in point. Yeah. So, like, I mean, even like uh, for those of you guys that ever watch me, my Instagram, right, where I'm doing like podcasts and other people's podcasts, and behind me is a canvas. The canvas is still there, right? And it's a canvas of an NFT I bought. Oh, you told me about this. Right? Yeah. Like, I bought, I bought an NFT, right? It's like 142 grand. But it costs. I still have it. It's not worth 142 grand, right? What's worth? I don't know, but it won't sell for 20 because I listed it for 20. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I can stomach 120k loss, um, but we're not even there. Um, but this goes back to you know the case point I'm on the whale club, like you know collect, analyze, strategize, execute. Generally, um, are you a quick start? Do you know? I'm not a quick start. You're not a quick start. Uh, so generally, I'm a quick start. Like, hey, should we do this? Yes. <laughs> like, what about, yeah, let's do it, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, we can avoid these expensive mistakes if we take the time to collect, analyze, strategize, and execute. But we don't, right? And, he, and it's not like Whale Club was the first one to come up with this, right? Because uh, Keith Cunningham already had that book, The Road Less Stupid, mm -hmm. right? Have you read that one? Uh, I have listened to Keith Cunningham, uh, but I have not read his book. Okay. So, Talking about Whale Club, then, like how this applies. So, like, you're you since joined the Whale Club. Mm -hmm. Love it. What is your perspective on the Whale Club? Uh, I find myself quoting something from Whale Club, Dan Nicholson's mm -hmm. uh, Rigging the Game book all the time. Yeah. Now, like, a part of my teaching, talking to my team, uh, everything else, like, I find myself quoting something that I heard from you or Paul Sparks mm -hmm. or Dan Nicholson. All the time, like one of my 
primary go-tos is, well, the, the, my top two go-tos are one, solvable problem, mm-hmm. two, uh, closer over more. Right. Yeah, and, and, and for me, it's, it's the biggest thing. And it's, um, I think sometimes it drives my team crazy, yeah. right? Um, but, but I feel like it's grounded you and me mm-hmm. a lot. And a lot of these principles has definitely made us better business owners. Well, it's going to keep us out of more trouble. Yes. Right? Like, it's not that we can't do things. It's just before we do those things, let's just go through a process. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Ask just a few more questions. Um, which goes to the other thing, you know, uh, one thing I stole from you before Whale Club, right? So right around the same time, I, jo- I partnered with Paul Sparks, my uh, accountability partner, you know, my best friend since uh, middle school was frustrated with me. And there's a friend who's, you know, he sold his company for $80 million. He knows a thing or two about business, right? Mm-hmm. We talk every single month. And he's frustrated with me. He's like, Steve, you're always chasing more money, right? He's like, you need to sit down and write a bunch of questions to ask yourself before you're allowed to start a new venture. It's like, okay. And I put that as an ask, right, in CG. And Eric Brewer says, oh, you should watch Jason Lewis's presentation. Like, Great. So uh, you want to share some of those questions? Who? Uh, yes, I'll share the one. I, I remember giving the specific presentation, and essentially it was, and it, it came from, what I actually picked it up from was the, I think it was the gap, it was either the gap in the gain or be your future self now, one of uh, Benjamin Hardy's books. Mm-hmm. But essentially it was, yeah, before you start, you want to make sure that it's past your, your tests, right, mm-hmm. and ask the questions. And every person has their questions that ultimately matter the most mm-hmm. to them, right? And it, it, it stems from what are your core values, what are what matters the most to you, right? Like, for example, one of his at the time was like, I cannot start this venture. You know, will it allow me to be, if I, if I do this thing, will I still be able to take two weeks off and come back to not a significant amount of work, mm-hmm. right? That was one of his rules. So I wrote out all of mine. I'm not going to be able to get them all on the mm-hmm. spot, but I know it was like, you know, it is doing this going to make me more money than just one more deal. Mm-hmm. Right, because oftentimes we get excited about all these other ideas and we do all this stuff, but in the end, we have a pretty profitable business in wholesaling. <laughs> yeah, we do. And if you would have just gotten one more deal, mm-hmm. it would have been better. Um, I think one was, is this something that's going to energize me or is it going to drain me? Is this mm-hmm. something I'm going to enjoy doing or something I'm not going to enjoy doing? Yeah. Uh, is it market resistant? Uh, is it putting more eggs into one specific market? Uh, um, you know, What's the actual time commitment going mm-hmm. to be? am I still going to be excited about this three months from now? Does this line up with something I'm inherently passionate about? Or mm-hmm. do I just like the idea of starting something up and mm-hmm. getting it going? Yeah. And one of the ones I put from it was like, will this be fun? Will this be fun? Yeah. Yeah. Which at this point in my life, that matters way more to me than it did five years ago. Yeah. Five years ago, so I don't care if it's fun or not. I'm going to, I got lucky, but it was like, I'm just going to do what's going to help me achieve my financial goals. Mm-hmm. Now I'm much more interested in Am I passionate about this? Yeah. Am I excited about this? Is this the type of thing that I'm going to like? And is it going to have me doing things with people that I like? Yeah. And I think, go back to Creation Utah and Investor Machine. Clearly, like they both passed that test really, really well. Um, one of the other things I liked a lot was um, you said something. Uh, my wife also enjoys this message, right? It's like, I've got an unlimited budget except for one thing. Yeah. What is it? My travel budget. Mm-hmm. I said that once to Jason Medley. Uh, I was like, yeah, sorry, it's just not going to be my travel budget. And he was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> he said, you make how much in your travel budget? Hang on, hang on. Then say my financial travel budget. I said my travel budget. It's my most limited budget that I have mm-hmm. is my travel away from family budget. Yeah. I have a certain number of days that I'm willing to sleep in a bed other than my own. And I'm in multiple masterminds 
Right. And I've never, so the, the masterminds that I'm in have four events, mm-hmm. never been to all four events in a year. Uh, probably, probably never will. Cause one of my rules in terms of the travel budget is June, July, and August, I don't leave. Like it would take an incredible opportunity to get me to leave in June, July, August. Mm-hmm. I always miss any event that's in June, July, and August because I don't leave Utah in June, July, and August. That's mm-hmm. the summer. I live for the summer. Uh, and I love spending time with the kids. The kids are home from school and it's like, I've got all this work that I have to do, but every second that's not keeping the businesses going and growing mm-hmm. is spent with the kids. And if I, if I can take three days for a mastermind, it means I can take three days to go do some type of vacation with the kiddos during the summer. Yeah, it's my wife's opinion as well. Uh, <laughs> what is that? Is there, is there a certain number of days or how do you calculate that? I would say I don't actually have like a set set budget it's more a i try to keep it as limited as possible i don't do the summer Mm -hmm. and also it kind of depends a little bit on how the family is is doing as well like Mm -hmm. i i do try hard to be a genuine contributor at home Mm -hmm. even uh, my my coo thought the opposite he's like you know i thought you'd be the guy that was like you were all in on business and your wife took care of just absolutely everything at home and you didn't do any of that i i do a lot of that help Mm -hmm. with laundry uh I do a lot of the cleaning. I help put the kids to bed at night and all of that stuff because yeah. that's the stuff that matters. Like in the end, you know, let's say right now you found out you got cancer, you got three months to live. You're going to care a heck of a lot more about what your wife and kids think about you mm-hmm. than the money that you have in the bank. Right. You'll be grateful that your family's taken care of and everything else, but none of that stuff ultimately matters in the long run. And I've talked to many uh, a CG vet, mm-hmm. you know, one, one cool part about CG is you get the, and you get in, in investor feel as well, the, the older guys that have been doing this a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk to them and you know, a, a message I've heard is I would give it all back if I could have a relationship with, with my kids yeah. or if I could still be married to my wife, et cetera. All that stuff is way more important. A relationship with God, a relationship with your kids, a relationship with your wife. Gary Keller does a really good job at explaining how to do it well in the one thing. Mm-hmm. He calls about he calls it intentional counterbalancing. Yeah. Where in order to really make progress in any aspect of your life, you cannot be in perfect balance. Mm-hmm. And people always think like I got to be in balance, meaning, you know, it's got to be exactly this much church and exactly this much uh family and exactly this much work every day all the time and whatever they're doing, they're feeling guilty about everything else. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. Yeah. You have a season of counterbalance. Mm-hmm. but you have to make sure it stays a season, right? It's like, hey, uh, I just had the shift happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a counterbalance season of work. Hey, market picked back up, so I've got to catch it back up. I'm in a counterbalance season of work. Hey, like you, you can find an excuse to be in the counterbalance all the time. Right. But one of, my, one of the things that I try, emphasis on try to do, is counterbalance a little bit back towards the family in the mm-hmm. summer. But then like January, February, March, Utah sucks. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that people fly there to ski and everything mm-hmm. else, and it's fun to ski for a couple of days. But in my opinion, Utah sucks in January, February, March. And I, I push so hard in business during that time because I got nothing else to do. Yeah. I was supposed to visit you one of the spring breaks. We didn't do it. I remember you were close. Yeah. I, you were, you were going to stay in one of my Airbnbs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's still going to happen. Powder Mountain. We got to figure out when we're going to do it. That's still got to happen. Um, and then you were talking about Collective Genius. Um, you know, your multiple masterminds, Collective Genius, Investor Fuel. Just those two. Oh, just those two. Yeah. Yeah. You're not even in all four for Investor Fuel either? <laughs> Never. No. Uh, no, I don't, I don't go to all four. Mm-hmm. That'd be eight events. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, I know. I, I, I see 
<laughs> you're not all for it, CG. Um, uh, so that's the reason why you're not in any additional ones either. Correct. Travel yeah. budget. Travel There's budget. a lot of other great events. I thought you were in a third one. No. No. All right. Unless you count CG Select. That well, kind of does count as a third one. It does. Um, yeah, my wife does not like the fact that I'm trying to go for CG and CG Select. Yes. Yeah. And it's Tampa. And it's Tampa. Yeah, I did one. I spoke with the... I'm, uh, I'm in one of those seasons of more travel right now. Yeah. I'm here this week. I was at the Lake Powell event last week, mm-hmm. but I brought my wife with to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this week, C- CG next week, two weeks later, Investor Fuel, two or three weeks later, CG Select. Mm-hmm. Month later, I'm doing that CG premiere again, mm-hmm. but bringing the wife and twin five-year-olds to that one. And then, but you have a team also that goes, that covers, right? Yes, for... Uh, investor machine, right? Like the salesperson goes and plays me. Uh, no, that's Bateman. Uh, it, yeah. Masha is who Masha. goes for me. Yeah. So, but so you have it covered. That's just... also Masha. If if anyone's interested in investor machine, that's mm-hmm. who they'll talk to. She's amazing, nicest gotcha. gal ever. Uh, while we're on that topic, if anyone is interested, theinvestormachine.com/slash/steve. Mm-hmm. Nice part about knowing Steve and listening to the podcast is uh, our traditional sign-up fee has been ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike and I talked about it. We will, and when people signed up last time we were on the podcast, if they said theinvestormachine.com slash Steve, it mm. was still 10000 because that's not something that we traditionally discounted mm. ever. But for this, we will do uh, 3000 for the wow. sign-up fee for the first market. 70% off if you will do theinvestormachine.com slash Steve. Wow. So we didn't talk about that before. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's really cool that you guys are offering a discount. I think that's huge. Slash Steve. <laughs> um. Other thing that's really cool again because we're both in CG, we go out, you know, dinner, do whatever. Uh, you had this B hack, which I guess has changed a little bit. Yes, but let's talk about your your, your B hack. So, uh, which one do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the new one or the old one? Uh, let's talk about the new one. Let's okay. talk about what's what's firing up right now. So, uh, and actually, we were just on this boat with uh, Jerry Norton, mm-hmm. who I think is awesome, and his wife Anne Marie is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So, uh, we like the idea of freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's part of being. A man. Right. Tony Robbins does a really good job at this. He's like, men, see how you feel at the end at Date with Destiny. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite events I've ever been to. If you were to pick like a single event that's probably a favorite, I would say it's Tony Robbins' Date with Destiny. Mm-hmm. Just amazing for living a high life. But he at one point goes like, men, how does it make you feel? Freedom! Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just like something about it. So, I mean, that was a, a, an iconic scene in, in Bra- Braveheart. Yes, Braveheart, yes. yes. Um, so during the pandemic... One of the things that we did was we took three months. We, we were homeschooling anyways. I could work from anywhere. So we were like, you know what? And everything was cheap. And so we rented an Airbnb for three months in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And we got season passes to all of the different parks and things like that. And we were like, oh, this is the best. Like mm-hmm. I've walked onto almost every ride in Orlando because no one was at the parks. And yeah. we rented, you know, it was like a 10-bedroom house for like, for like 90 bucks a night or something like that yeah. because it was ghost town. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to be able to eventually pull off that life mm-hmm. where, uh, and uh, Jerry and Anne Marie have pulled it off. Really, they did it with 10 kids, which is a lot, but so they need uh, more than a 10 bedroom house. <laughs> yes. Yes. Correct. They need one, one for each of the kids. So, you know, they've got tutors and people like that that help with homeschool and they can go to Montana and they can go to Puerto Rico and they can be wherever anybody is mm-hmm. anytime. I think that life would be, absolutely amazing and having control and influence over what your kids are learning be able to have the opportunity to teach them more about entrepreneurship and the things that that matter 
most uh, that to me is just the absolute dream life. So Grant Cardone does this. Okay. Right? Chris Rude does this. Right? Um, I've seen it, and it's cool. It's appealing. It has a, it has upsides and downsides. So I, I, I think I would go crazy. Yeah. I will say we, two or three weeks ago, put all five of our kids on the same bus to go to the same elementary school. Mm-hmm. We've got six down to kindergarten. And it, that's actually honestly pretty nice, too. Like, there is definitely another side. It's like, they're all gone. And right. My wife and I home during the day. Yeah. You don't have an office you go to? Offices or prisons. <laughs> Let's talk about that. That's my – so I love virtual, and everybody's different. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's what you should do. Again, on the boat, Cody Hoffine uh, and Mark Stubler are all in on everybody in the office. Mm-hmm. You clearly are, too. You have a big, beautiful office. Yeah. I love virtual. Mm-hmm. Both Investor Machine and the Utah company run entirely virtual. Mm-hmm. Funny part is almost everyone in the Utah company lives in Utah. Um, so we'll get together about once a month, uh, and I'll do a lunch, do something just for sake of the camaraderie. But yeah, every single person works from home. Has great advantages. The younger generation definitely prefers working from home. Mm-hmm. I love providing freedom in the workplace as well. Mm-hmm. Freedom is, you know, they say freedom isn't free, but freedom doesn't cost me a whole lot, <laughs> right? Uh, and I think it's part of what helps me to have great retention is mm-hmm. it's people genuinely enjoy, hey, get get the job done, get the work done, and otherwise you're free. People don't get tied up in commutes, and we've got really good systems and processes mm-hmm. around it. And honestly, we did all virtual before it was cool. Mm-hmm. Like even before COVID, we were we were all virtual. And so because of that, I hired for it and built a culture largely around it. How many salespeople do you have in Creation Utah? So... Acquisition manager, let's see. Say like eight or nine. Okay. So um, I personally believe that in order to be able to uh, lead an organization virtually of salespeople, you got to be next level leadership. Yeah. (laughs) So what are you doing to lead an army of salespeople effectively virtually? I will be happy to answer you with what Rob is doing to be able to effectively lead a group of salespeople Mm. virtually. So daily huddle, every morning everybody gets together, shares what they're grateful for, shares what they're working on, shares their number. Uh, Amazing sales training from Mm -hmm. Steve Trang. Uh, We do our scoreboard meeting, which is where every Tuesday we we get together and we uh, go over all of our numbers and get rewarded based on specifically what we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every Thursday, uh, based on the day, there's acquisition manager, further training. There's lead manager, further training. Mm-hmm. You know, each different sales department gets deeper individualized training every single week from Rob. And then about once a month, uh, we try to actually get together in mm-hmm. person. And then, I mean, they are calling him all the time. Every day, it's like, hey, uh, let's talk this specific one through. Mm-hmm. Let's look at this. Let's look at that. Let's look at this. So as much as he's COO, he spends a lot of time wearing the sales manager hat. Yeah, it sounds like it. And then I have... Carrie on my team, who oversees a lot of the specific like office administration, mm-hmm. behind the scenes, KPIs, number tracking, things like that, too. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so I'm trying to think. There was something else. Uh, what have we not talked about that we wanted to talk about? Hmm. So what are you excited about for the rest of this, rest of this year? Uh, we're approaching oh, Q4. That's true. So, you know, we talk, and I think that from the timeline standpoint, we've pretty much got up to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited to be watching both companies grow. Uh, and our goal, so 
in uh, Creation Utah, Rob and I kind of intentionally wanted to master the fundamentals and keep the company pretty close to the same size. Some reasonable growth, but pretty close to the same size. We're looking to double it or more next year and believe we have the the systems, the infrastructure, the the market timing, everything in place to be able to really, really make that happen. Yeah. Which which we're excited about because we haven't even had that as a goal up mm-hmm. to this point. So for the end of this year, it's laying the foundation and building all the pieces and putting everything specifically together to be able to make that happen. Mm. And same thing with Investor Machine. It's been a long period of investment into this ability to see exactly who sold to investors in your market and setting up the right partners and right systems and right processes to be able to help with multiple marketing channels. And all of this stuff has been, you know, it's been a lot of work kind of all coming into a confluence of now we can really start to see the benefit from a lot of this stuff. So I'm actually really excited about the rest of this year and next year. Yeah. Uh, well, on a lot of this stuff, we haven't been benefiting this whole time yet. We like investor machine specifically, we've been building all of this, uh, to now really start benefiting from this. So I've been dumping all the resources in Mm. without seeing a lot of the benefits yet. And now a lot of the benefits is going forward. And then one thing, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it here is diversifying, uh, the clientele. Yeah. Uh, in regards to like multiple industries and things like that. Uh, that, that hasn't, that hasn't turned into, to much, uh, you know, we, we looked at, Hey, could we help people in, in solar specifically mm-hmm. as well? And so very early stages mm-hmm. with that. Uh, we've got a customer right now that we're going through working on testing, things like mm-hmm. that. And that'll be worth talking about once it's something. Yeah. That's because um, we're actively diversifying ourselves training. Yeah. Right. Um, not me leading it. It'd be someone else spearheading it. There's another guy, Ian Ross. Uh, he's been on the show and the guy is masterful at sales. Just doesn't have a brand yet. Right. <laughs> So uh, we're actually launching another podcast soon, uh, Sales Disruptors, where he's going to be running that show, right? And we're going to be, you know, targeting um, other industries, solar, auto, whatever, right? Um, so we'll see where that goes. We see a lot yeah, of Yeah, you look at what, uh, oh, shoot, what's his name? The guy from Phoenix that came in. Jeremy trans- Miner. Jeremy Miner. You look mm-hmm. at what he's been able to do across multiple industries, and it's impressive. Incredibly impressive. Yeah. Right? yeah I saw a- your picture on your Facebook. You got him for breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the cool things about Collective Genius, right? It's like they all bring all these awesome people in, and then I'm able to work my way in to having a conversation with them, yeah. exchange numbers, and like, hey, let's, let's collaborate. Yes. So we had... I got to talk to Benjamin Hardy, mm-hmm. which was really exciting. Now, that said, that he was all in on uh, 10x and focus and like just <laughs> look, you know, 80-20 principle, mm-hmm. very, very big on that. And I mean, he made it very clear early on, like... I basically am working on a couple of things. I'm not looking for friends. Mm-hmm. But like Jeff Hoffman, I still have his cell number. Mm-hmm. Uh, billionaire, most impressive speaker ever. And we still will will chat back yeah. and forth. Absolutely amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, so they open And I've doors. learned the secret, by the way. Anybody from CG watches this, don't steal my secret. The secret is do your research on the keynote speaker mm-hmm. and talk to them before they speak. Mm-hmm. Because after they speak, everybody knows who they are now. They're swarmed, they're excited. But yeah. I always am lingering around looking for the person and have done research onto them. Sometimes I'm a super fan anyways, but yeah. that's when you can talk to the big keynote speakers is mm, that's smart before they talk. Cause after it's done. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to, I want you to think about what you want to leave everyone with as far as last thoughts. Uh, guys, hopefully you guys got a ton of value. I mean, Jason over the course of almost two hours basically shared how to 
build this <laughs> insane business. In relative to today, because it's very different. Today is different than when we talked in 2020. So it's very different. Yeah, I mean, we went through closed Olympics, right? And we're watching these guys close. Like, yeah, that stuff used to work. The way you're talking to sellers that way, it used to work. It doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. You actually have to build a relationship. It's a Get them to trust you before going for the clothes. Yeah. That one seller appointment that I did, mm-hmm. two hours. Yeah. And, and I wasn't the high offer, mm-hmm. but the high offer was in and out in 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and they went with me. I was 60,000 less yeah. than the high offer, but they went with me because I was there for two hours. That's part of why I was so excited. Yeah. Well, There's just something magical about knowing your offer was 60,000 less than the high guy and they mm-hmm. still went with you. Yeah. We had the same thing. Not 60, it was 15,000. But it was, yeah, you know, they went with us, even though they told us they had two other higher cash offers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, e- even I'm timing these appointments. I'm also recording them. Like, even in a non-full uh, appointment, like, these are, like, partial appointments where the, I showed up because our acquisition manager couldn't get it, and I went in to get the contract. Or, like, hey, we couldn't come to terms today, but you go do some more work, I'll go do some more work, and we'll reconvene. It's not a full appointment. It's just a part of an appointment, and it's an hour, right? Because we're talking about, like, when we're negotiating, it's like, what do you need? Like, what boxes do you need checked? Yeah. Right? And we could check these boxes. What does that mean to you? Right? Okay. And then once we've discussed all these things, now I'm prepared to make my formal offer that checks every single one of your boxes. Yeah. That's a 50-minute conversation. I was like, man, I can't believe I was in there that long. Minimum. And Yeah. Yeah, and it's a lot of seeking first to understand. It's a lot of asking questions. It's a lot of figuring out what mm-hmm. they want. And I found the best acquisition managers, or if you're doing appointments yourself, mm-hmm. the person who's most likely to win is the one who took the time to truly understand what they wanted, came across as the expert, and then presented a genuine solution to what they were looking for that they felt confident in was going to give them the certainty and convenience that right. they're ultimately looking for over price. Right. Yeah. If it's just price... We're not going to win. Open door. <laughs> yeah, open door. <laughs> but if you want a solution where you can sleep well at night. Yeah. Open us. door is going to come back to you with a different offer <laughs> later on. You can take that to the bank. Yeah. It could be good. It could be bad. Who knows? We had but... one that came back They came back 95000 lower. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, guys, uh, hopefully, again, you guys got a ton of value. Um, if you guys did, subscribe. Do not keep us a secret. Uh, we do have our sales leadership next week. So, scratch that. It's probably too late for you guys. Um, we do have our uh, live sales training in a month, month and a half. Uh, if you guys are inside our sales community, you guys get a better price. So if you want a discount on our future events, join us at salesdisruptors.com. Uh, so what are the last thoughts you want to leave everyone with? Ultimately, when you're looking back at the end of your life, it's relationships are all that are ultimately going to matter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go work hard, do what you need to do, but don't do it at the expense of, your key relationships. You're never going to get your kid's childhood back. You're never going to get those years of your marriage back. You know, reach out to the estranged relationship. Ultimately, all of this is cool that we talked about, but it's really relationship with God, relationship with family, mm-hmm. uh, relationship with those closest to you, and even relationships with your coworkers mm-hmm. is what makes for a rich life. I would yeah. say that's probably what I'd, what I'd leave it with. Yeah, it's all for naught. And that's from a low B. So that should mean <laughs> something. From one low B to another. Yeah. Uh, we both have... Steve and I both have the same predictive index profile, so we have a deep understanding of each other. So from people that are task-oriented over people-oriented, even from that standpoint, relationships is ultimately what matters the most. Fairly antisocial.
<laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I, I just got asked that question too. Not everyone has all strengths. I'm not as good at social media as you are. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm on Instagram too. I don't know exactly what uh, <laughs> my Facebook or my Instagram uh, specifically yeah. is. So, uh, But I'm very searchable and I'm friends with a lot of real estate investors. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably have a mutual friend. Look for the Jason Lewis in Salt Lake City. That's the one. Yes, because yeah. there is one in Denver, Denver as yeah. well. And we've never met, but we're going to someday. Yeah, one day where <laughs> like the, the universe might, might collapse. That's right. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.